In the year 1527, the city of Rome was invaded. The city of Rome was surrounded by troops of the emperor, Charles V. He was a Spanish emperor. And this was a time in Europe where you know, the 16th century was very tumultuous, different kingdoms and empires vying for power, and part of that power was intimidating the Holy Father, getting the church to be on the side of the various empires. What Charles V ordered his troops to do was to surround the city, just to intimidate the, the church. He did not order them to penetrate the walls. Thousands of his troops mutinied, and Rome was sacked. They entered the city looking for the Holy Father. To capture him? Maybe kill him? Who knows? And the only thing that was standing between the Holy Father in the Vatican and thousands of Spanish and German troops 189 Papal Swiss Guardsmen. This is known as their famous last stand. They'd only existed for 20 years at that point. Most of them were killed. But they managed to hold the, hold the enemy forces back long enough so that the Pope could escape into safety. God protected Peter through his instruments, the Swiss Guard. And there's actually a heavy metal song dedicated to them. I will repeat that. There is a heavy metal song dedicated to the Papal Swiss Guard, the men who defend the papacy. That is awesome. It's called The Last Stand. The lyrics are very family friendly. I will not sing it for you right now, but I've heard it multiple times. Let's go back a thousand years prior. 452 AD, the Roman Empire. At this point, Rome was, the empire was split into two halves the East and the West. While the East was thriving, the West was in a state of corruption and decay. Barbarian kings were starting to take over the lands. The emperors had abandoned the eternal city of Rome. They were in the East, in Constantinople, or if there was any power in the West, it was in Milan in the North, in Northern Italy. So who was running Rome, politically and civilly at that point? The Pope. The spiritual leader was also the political leader. And at this point, it was St. Leo the Great, the first pope to be known as such, as the Great. And during this year, Attila the Hun, known as the Scourge of God, was marching on Rome, taking all these lands. And this is one of those moments that the church has a, to echo Gandalf the Grey, you shall not pass moment, where St. Leo the Great goes out to meet this king outside the cities of Rome. And he was known for being a skilled, brilliant theologian, and a masterful diplomat. We don't know what the conversation entailed between Attila the Hun and St. Leo the Great, but we do know as factual that the Pope managed to convince this barbarian king to turn around. Rome was saved, and God protected Peter again through infused knowledge, through skill, because this king could have, he could have killed St. Leo. He didn't go out with an army. He went out basically by himself. Let's go back a few hundred years. First century Palestine. An uneducated fisherman gets in the water, gets splashed around a little bit, gets a little windy, he starts freaking out. But yet God incarnate saved Peter again. He protected his rock. You ever feel bad for St. Peter? You ever notice how in scripture he says the right thing at the right time, but he says the wrong thing and he has his foot in his mouth? and he's so weak, 
and you're thinking, Peter, what are you doing? Don't you get it? Don't you get who this is? Well, a few days ago, Monsignor Sayek was giving a homily where he said, it's easy to judge people in Scripture. In, the, in his homily, he was talking about judging the, the freed slaves of the children of Israel. They left Egypt and they were complaining to Moses about manna and they're hungry and they're, just, they're always complaining. But we can't judge them nor Peter because we're the same way. You know, Peter, our first pope, he has such a beautiful story, right? It's so human. And if you look at Scripture, you look at the Gospels, Acts of the Apostles, and the letters of Peter, you see the growth, the wisdom in this uneducated fisherman from Galilee. That's our first pope. And this story, you know, Peter is, he's headstrong, he's full of zeal, he loves his friend, he loves the Lord, but he didn't know the full context that we have. We can read the scriptures with the context of the resurrection. He didn't have that at that point. But Peter is doing something very important here. This story is not the fumble of Peter or the failure of Peter. This story is the triumph of human faith. It's about the human faith that Peter has, that Pope Francis has, that we all have. It's not perfect, but it's beautiful. So speaking of fumble, if we're doing a little ESPN play-by-play -play of the gospel, let's see what's actually happening here. Let's break it down. They think it's a ghost who's walking on the water. The ancient Jews did believe in, those, in spirits. It would have been off-putting. But then Jesus says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And who is the only one who speaks of all the apostles, of the first bishops? Peter. And he uses his rational faculty, his reasoning, to test the Lord. Lord, if it is you, then tell me to come to you. I'll go if, you, if it's you. The Lord says, come. Who is the only one who gets out of the boat? All the apostles? The Pope. Peter. He is the only one to get out of the boat. And we don't see it in the gospel. I wonder if maybe he turned around and said, come on guys, Lord's calling us, let's go. We don't know. But he gave that example of faith. He jumped out of the boat and he walked on water. Now, I'm sure many of us have heard the homily, I've heard it too, where they, the priest would explain why did Peter start sinking? Because he took his, mind, his eyes off of the Lord. His gaze was away from him. And he got afraid, fearful, anxious, intimidated. But why this is not a failure is, when Peter was sinking, did he turn around to tell the apostles, help me, throw me a rope? He went back to the Lord and said, Lord, save me. I'm drowning here. Save me. Out of deep vulnerability, out of humility, out of desperation, he sought the Lord. So Peter didn't fail. He gave us a beautiful example at our darkest moments, at our driest moments, going to the Lord. He's human. Did Christ let him down? He didn't let Clement VII down when Rome was sacked. He didn't let Leo the Great down when Attila the Hun was, was about to attack the city. And he didn't let Peter down. And we can't isolate this gospel. It's just this one episode. 
we always have to read it in a larger context. And this is very important for Catholics. This is Matthew chapter 14. What is going to happen two chapters later in Matthew 16? So if anybody ever asks us, where does the Pope come about in Scripture? You say, Matthew 16, Matthew 16, Matthew 16. Proof of the papacy. That's when Jesus will ask his apostles, who do the people say that I am? Elijah, John the Baptist. And it's only Peter who speaks the truth. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I wonder if Peter was reflecting on this episode when he said that boldly. And what does Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, before he was called Peter. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not stand against it. That is the birth of the papacy. But the story of Peter is much more than the papacy. It's the story of human faith. And he really is, his story is so human on many levels. Faith, yes, on one hand, and the priesthood and the papacy on the other. Wouldn't we want our popes, like Pope Francis, to keep that prayer of St. Peter on his lips and on his heart? Lord, save me. I can't do this on my own. Turning to the Lord to seek his salvation. You know, I admire St. John Paul II. He's the reason why I, I looked at the priesthood as, oh, this is actually something heroic. Well, I wonder if he or St. Leo could have done the things they did if it weren't for the example of Peter. And we can all learn from that as a people of heroic faith, of hopeful, hopeful faith. And a beautiful, beautiful thing about Catholic Mass is that all over the world, the Eucharist, the source and summit of our faith, according to Vatican II, is being celebrated, and the Pope is being prayed for all over the world. We cannot be passive about that. We've got to pray for our Pope. He's Peter. He's our leader. We don't want him to sink. And God bless Pope Francis. I cannot imagine the cross that the office of Peter brings. And God bless him. I wouldn't want that job. And the priesthood. In the back in the table there, there are some posters that show the seminarians for the Archdiocese of Portland and Oregon. When we heard the Lord tell us, come, and some guys heard the Lord in a, in a, in a, in a fire like Moses and some of us heard it in a whisper, we were getting out of the boat, a life of comfort, to walk on water, water, unstable ground, to become spiritual fathers. Just because I have this collar around my neck does not mean I'm free from, from temptation, from weakness, from dryness, from my own shortcomings. We're human men, seeking to be, hopefully, pray for us, good spiritual fathers. That's it. And in the humanizing of faith that St. Peter beautifully brings, welcome to the human race. We make mistakes. We say the wrong things. We have moments where we have constant anguish and sorrow in our hearts. And so often our anxieties and our shortcomings and even anger at you know, the, the spiritual dryness, it can drown out that whisper. God won't always necessarily call us with a megaphone. Maybe he'll do it through other people or he'll do it in the quiet, like with Elijah. That's where God was found, in the whisper of the heart. It's a beautiful thing, St. Peter, a beautiful child of God who became our first pope. 
and a beautiful example that's so human. I've had conversations where people tell me, well, why didn't Jesus pick you know, John, the beloved disciple? He was the most perfect out of all of them. He had a plan for him too. But Peter was the perfect one to be the rock, the perfect one to be our pope, the perfect example of a human faith, a human faith that is weak and needs to say to the Lord, save me. I had three years before I had my Lord save me moment. Some people it's longer, some people it's shorter. We're all on the journey together. We're all in the boat together, so to speak. And just because we have moments of sorrow or even spiritual dryness, I'm an ordained man and there's moments this year where I sit in that church for an hour. Nothing happens. I'm like, Lord, where are you? He doesn't abandon us. He didn't abandon Peter. We, we don't know the exact measurement of how far he was from Peter. He might have been right in front of him, ready to pull him out of the water. But just because we have that dryness doesn't mean God has abandoned us or is malicious or we're praying wrong. He's right there. And it is, it is in those, the worst moments that we cannot turn away from the Lord. Now, will we? Yes, we're human beings. Be like Peter. Turn back to the Lord. He's calling each and every one of us today in the Eucharist. Come. Come to me. And let's get vulnerable with him when we approach him. Those words of our Lord, O oh man of little faith, why did you doubt? It sounds harsh. But we don't know what Jesus, what his expression was or how his voice sounded. I like to think that maybe he was saying to Peter, Peter, Why'd you doubt me? I've got you. I won't let you down. I've got, I'm right here. I've got you. And he's saying that to all of us. So maybe our prayer in the Eucharist today is simply, you know, if we're struggling with something today, maybe it simply is, Lord, save me. But also, think of those moments where God did save each and every one of us. He pulled us out of desolation and of dryness. And hindsight is 20-20, where we look back and said, oh, God was there. So it almost sounds comforting when he says to each one of us, why did you doubt? I've got you. I've got you. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Amen. Amen.